Spring of Life Fellowship and its pastor, Joaquin G. Molina, invites you to listen to a message of restoration and strengthening for your life. Be a part of the vision, changing the world. Father, thank you for these you've added to the family. Thank you for their hearts. Thank you for the desire to honor you and to live for your glory. Father, that, that nothing would move them, Lord, and, and, and put them astray, that nothing would discourage them, that they would be filled with your courage, that they would be filled with your strength, that seeing the examples of the faith of those that go before them would be their encouragement to also be faithful. We pray, Lord, that you give them wisdom, that you give them a heart to, to please you in all things, that you give them grace, Lord, when they fall short, Lord, and that you would carry them in your mercy into the purposes you have for their lives, for their families, for their ministries, Father. Open the heavens towards them, Lord, and allow your spirit to saturate their hearts in a good way, Father God, that they would be peaceful, that they would be helpful, that they would be victorious and triumphant as Christians, Lord. Uh, if they've been walking for a long time in the Lord, that they would find refreshing in this place. And if they just got saved a couple of weeks, months ago, Father, this year, we pray that they would uh, grow up into all things and measure and fullness and stature of what you have planned for them, Lord, that they would be seen as a reference in this generation and that nothing causes them to fall or to go asunder or go uh, depart, Father God, or fall away. We pray that you crown them with wisdom and that they would have a great inheritance in this family and in this house, Lord, and that they would share with the plunders of our victories as we continue to go out to battle. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen, and amen. You may be seated. Children could go back to Sunday school, and uh, they had a fabulous time in the Festival of Lights as we shared uh, with the goodness of the Lord in their lives. We get prepared to, to visit with um, the Cruz family, not only Ted, but his, his uh, wife, his children, his father, um, tomorrow for lunch, uh, for dinner actually. And uh, we pray that you keep us in prayer so that God would fulfill his divine purposes in that regard. Uh, not any political uh, preference, um, but we're seeking out to stand before kings and before dignitaries and senators. And, and that's the promise of God, that he would send us to be a blessing in those places. Um, January 2016 becomes the opportunity... January 3rd, next Sunday, uh, we start a 21-day fast uh, this year to, for 2016. Um, a lot of people question about the veracity of these. Um, uh, why, why would, if, if uh, we're saved by grace and God has done a full work, why would we fast? And I want to tell you that fasting is a spiritual exercise, and it will make your spirit lean and a mean to be able to hear from God, to, to pursue God, to, to see things in a spiritual dynamic. The Bible says when you cut back on the physical, the spiritual is polished. And so that's what happens during these three weeks. Um, and we'll have a full schedule next week as we start. We, we're not going to start. Uh, usually we start after lunch. We're going to start before lunch next week so that there's not going to be uh, but a uh, Daniel uh, portion. Uh, Daniel's portion, we read in Daniel chapter 10. If you want to go with there, uh, 
with me to just a prep about what's going to happen next week, um, which will be January 3rd. There was in Daniel 10, verse 2. In those days, I, Daniel, was fasting for three full weeks. The same aspect when you, when you start limiting your food intake or those things that you uh, delight in, that, that's an occasion to mourn, uh, to be sad. Uh, It's not time of celebration. Verse 3, he says, I ate no pleasant food. I wasn't into eating food for my pleasure. I didn't go to restaurants. I didn't go to have my favorite steak, my favorite plate, uh, if you will, my favorite pasta. Um, I stayed away from that. And he says, I ate no meat and wine did not come into my mouth. Uh, Nowadays, we don't drink as much wine as we do Coca-Cola and Pepsi-Cola. So some people say, I'm not going to have refreshments. I'm not going to have no sweets, no desserts. Nor did I uh, take a shower, but we would appreciate if you take a shower. Uh, Till three whole weeks were fulfilled. Uh, You'd think that this is a a no-brainer. Guess what? It's very difficult. It's very straining. Um, the, the, one of the least likely things during this time that I see is people get super grumpy, you know, when they're not eating their favorite foods, when they're not getting there. Uh, some of our young people, um, that they, they're going to school and doing pee. We, we, we tell them don't, don't abstain from food. Don't not eat your lunch, but maybe you want to fast social media. You want to not get into your Facebook or your Twitter uh, or your Instagram for three weeks. You know, it's like, man, when you wake up three weeks later, the whole world has changed, right? You miss so much, so much information. Um, but some of the young people do that. Uh, some people say, I'm going to stay away from my PlayStation, from my, uh, from my Nintendo, from my Apple uh, computer, whatever the case may be. Um, I'm not going to play my favorite sports for three weeks. I'm, I'm going to use this time to read my Bible. I'm going to use this time to pray. I'm going to use this time in another, an, another priority. Uh, so whatever the case may be, from January 3rd until 21 days later, um, we're, going to, we're going to set 2016 to seek the face of the Lord, to be able to get attuned, fine-tuned, um, and to clean up our disposition. Um, what actually happens is uh, a lot of people say, you know something, this is healthy. This, is, this thing about fasting is I get rid of all the toxins that are in the body. And some people take it on for 45 days. They're like, Pastor, I'm going to go for another 20 days. Whatever the case may be, uh, we've seen huge blessing. Huge blessing. Uh, those of you that are praying for a prodigal son, a prodigal daughter. Some, some of you that are praying for your family to come to the Lord. This is a great opportunity to uh, hold these things up before the Lord. Um, so that you can see the blessings that come down. One of the, a lot of people don't understand. I'm going to show you this verse. Um, because there, there's also um, the, the, let's go to Ezra chapter 8, verse 21. Ezra 8:21. There's another example of a, of a man of God who sets aside time to fast. 
here. Then I proclaimed a fast uh, near the river of Ahava that we might humble ourselves before our God. This is what happens during fasting. You're actually saying, Lord, you know something? I want to show you that I'm serious about you. To seek from him the right way for us. Fasting allows you to make great business decisions, great family decisions, great parenting decisions. To, to point the way um, for our little ones and our, all our possessions. There's a physical, the physical things God puts into our hands. When we're fasting, he tells us what to do with it. He shows us how to be wise in those affairs. And so verse 22 as he proclaimed this fast, uh, for I was ashamed to request an escort. I, I don't want to have man's strength. I don't want to have this, the human wit of my, own, of my own thoughts, my own way of doing things, reaching out to men to help me and horsemen to help us against the enemy because we had spoken to the king saying, the hand of our God is upon all those for good who seek him but his power and wrath are against all those who forsake him. When you're fasting, you're putting more strength on your relationship with God than you are with your ability to confront your affairs. And, and I want to tell you something. When you trust the Lord, he comes through with shining colors. He, he does way above what we could do in the natural. And, and a lot of times we're trying to do things in the natural. Fasting is taking your hands off of matters and allowing God to put his hands on them. So uh, this only to say that, that it's going to be uh, an expectation of good. Um, I have to say the contrast to fasting is that people begin to compete. Ah, you ate pizza. Ah, you, you had a pepperoni. Ah, you had a banana. That wasn't part. This is not a competition mode. This is not what we're supposed to be doing. Um, the first year we did this, many years ago, people had disqualified almost half of the church in the first two days. You know, you have garbanzos, and those are not real beans. And, and they, they start pointing fingers, and they start playing all the politics of religion. We're not going to do that. We're not. Fasting is between us and the Lord. And he sees in private, the Bible says, and he will reward publicly. And he understands when we have to go reaching for a Twinkie because we're about to pass out, or whatever the case may be. However, you might have to carry some grace uh, because you didn't do it full and fell well. Uh, some people do half day. Uh, different people do different things. Some people fast every day up till 1 o'clock, and then they break their fast, and, but they do it for 21 days. So however you uh, are able to do it in the grace that God allows, that's what you should do, and God understands the rest. And, and many times those that beat their chest and go, I want 45 days with no water, um, no food, and you're an animal and a gorilla. We applaud your feet in the Lord. And we need strong people like you. Um, hopefully you don't die. Um, but we're not, we're not going to sit there and compete. That's not the spirit of the Lord over our lives. Um, as we finished 2015, uh, we said this. Just like we stood up all the new people that have come into our church. Uh, my father-in-law, my mother-in-law came for the first time. It's been two years, right? Okay, so that's, uh, there are people that have come that are not here this morning. And why? Because they have shipwrecked. They, they have withdrawn. Um, <clears throat> it's really powerful to see how people try to come and try to get serious with God and try to fix their marriage and families and their finances and their walk with God. They try, and they try real hard. 
but um, they're not here now. And so that, that is a huge dilemma. And the Bible says be careful when you address these type of people because it might be you next year. It might be you that doesn't make it to the end of the year. And so the Bible says with meekness and with humility and with prayer, try to, to be a blessing to those people because some have it a lot tougher than we do. And, and, and I, I'll tell you, as the pastor of the church, a lot of people think, well, pastor's really strong. The, the opposite is actually true. I'm really weak. And, and that's why God chooses us because we are stricken with more um, debilities. And, and a lot of times, and, and I have no doubt that what keeps me standing is the prayers of those that pray for me and, and those that are always uh, concerned. And so that, that is what sustains our family, our marriage, is, is God's mercy and his goodness, no stronger than anyone else. And, and we're always on our face um, telling God to have mercy on us because the actually to be able to stand, the actually to be here, the actually <clears throat> to be able to participate and to even boast in the Lord um, is, is all of his grace. He is the one that sustains us. He is the one that keeps us. So we continue to pray, not with regards to our ability or our strength, but that the mercies of God not fail, that his grace would continually be in our lives. And we feel it strong because it's humanly impossible to be on the go as hard and as strong as we are and, and continue in the, in, the, in the presence of every setback and adversity to be able to, to be here at the end of the year saying, you know something, we're going strong. <clears throat> we're going forward. Father, thank you for this day that you have made. Thank you for December 27th, 2015, as we are still in your presence in the house of the Lord amongst those who love you and are waiting for your return. We give you thanks for your spirit and for your strength and your grace that sustains us and keeps us without falling, Lord, that we have not fallen unto unbelief and, and uh, apostasy, that we have not fallen away, uh, that we have not hardened our hearts, all because of your mercy and your grace, Lord, all because of your faithfulness and your love. And we pray that today we might receive your word and that we might take heart to welcome the instruction that would allow us to prevail and to prosper and to be successful. We pray that you give us a heart that receives your word and we welcome it. And we pray that it would be anointed, that it would be the bread of life that nourishes our spirit, you said that man shall not live by bread alone, by the natural, but by the supernatural uh, food of those things that you give us, Lord. As a good seed planted in each heart that brings forth a good fruit, fruit that will be acceptable by you as you make us more fruitful and a harvest that glorifies your name so that many could come and to partake, Lord. We pray that that grace would be in our lives, that we would be a blessing to all the families in the earth, Lord as uh, our wives walk in their virtue, as husbands walk in their honor. We pray, Father God, that we be champions that you are perfecting, that our children would be mighty upon the land, as you promise in Psalm 112, and that nothing should be lacking in our homes, Lord, that the joy, the peace, the righteousness of your kingdom be established for generations, O oh God. We pray that your word, Father God, not return void, that it would be like a double-edged sword that would pierce our hearts this morning and remove those things that you desire for us to remove and to hold on and to grasp to those things that are not perishing, Lord. 
We give you thanks for Spring of Life. We give you thanks for the local body of Christ, for the church, oh God, that nourishes us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. So we were talking about this week about finishing. Uh, that's what we talked about last week, ending a matter. Uh, for many people, don't end. Uh, we're reminded of the people of Israel as they left Egypt, the world. It was a glorious deliverance. He sent his messenger. He had worked on his messenger for over 40 years. Um, and uh, 40 years in Egypt as the son of Pharaoh's daughter, the grandson of the king, uh, who, who would not like to be the grandson of a dignitary in power like Pharaoh? Uh, you get the best horses, you get the best playgrounds, you get the best food, uh, you go to all the celebrations. Um, but then 40 years in the desert, and so 40 years in Egypt, 40 years in the desert, and God dealing with this man, and he calls him at the age of 80, and at the age of 80, he says, are you ready to do my will? And, and I think that that is what has to be the end of our pursuit of the things of God. Um, it's going to be a very interesting expression to see uh, the life of men who lived upon the earth doing their will and pursuing their priorities and then standing for God and say, you know something, I didn't even know you had a will for my life. I didn't even know that you wanted me to have a game plan. So to be able to listen to God and to pursue his will in this life is powerful. And so 1 Peter 1.9, Peter talks about, for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the finality, not of your economic financial ventures, but the end result of your faith, which is actually your souls being saved. I, I, I don't know what's happening in our generation that many men and women don't even care about the final destiny of their souls. A lot of them don't even know that there is a final place where the souls end up. Um, there's two destinations that the Bible talks about. One that will be eternal torment, a place where you're, there would be no rest for your souls, and one that uh, you're introduced to by, well done, you good and faithful servant, enter into the Lord's rest, a resting place for the soul. So the pursuit of those two places is the challenges of the uh, fights that we face. We were talking about uh, Paul speaking of how he had finished. We're gonna, we're gonna, uh, he says, I have fought the good fight, I have run the race, I have kept the faith. The end of this matter is where does your faith lie? I was listening to the radio, a man yesterday was talking about how there was a uh, preacher and he was phenomenal uh, versed in biblical knowledge. In fact, he would read the Bible, the New Testament in Greek and he would read it right off the pages as it was written in its original text. And he was a phenomenal preacher. Because he would say, this Greek word means this and is defined by this and is, is part of the word. And, and when he's talking about all these things, he goes and takes a position at a university as a professor. Then he becomes agnostic and then atheist and then he doesn't believe anymore. So how do, does a person that believes so strong end up without belief? 
And so we see this, and I've seen it over the 30 years that I've lived. A lot of people uh, that get into familiarity. For the people that came up for the first time today, they, they're looking at us like this is a powerful place to be, uh, be, to pursue God, to find the Lord. And they want to hear from God. They want to listen in her heart. But what of the case of the person that, that all of a sudden says, you know something? I don't want to hear from God. I, his words bother me. They, they, they're not something that I'm attracted to. I don't want to hear God speak again. So we don't want to end up in a worse situation in our faith because we've become familiar. This is God in Isaiah 46.10 where he says, I make the end known from the beginning. This was one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Declaring the end from the beginning. Uh, I didn't know that you could live life like this. It wasn't until I became a Christian that I saw that down the road, 10 years after I gave my heart to the Lord, I could see myself getting married to a woman and I had 10 years to prepare for her to come into my life. Those people that know me before I got saved, I didn't care about the end or how it ended. I was, I was at the front end doing everything without thinking. And so I, there was no preparation for the end result um, I had never heard that whatever a man sows, he's going to reap. I never heard that concept. So, so I was living life at the moment with a reckless disregard about what was going to happen a year, two years, five years, ten years. And here I am worrying about becoming a grandfather because I have wisdom now. And I walk like God walks. He says that from the beginning, the end is known from the beginning. And, the, and from ancient times, things that are, have not taken place, those are the things that he knows about. So that my counsel would stand. So that what I saw far away becomes my reality is not going to change. Because I'm living life different. So those of you that, that are going to enter into... Uh, 2016, you can plan how you're going to end 2016 from the beginning. You could aim at the things that are more precious. You could have an end result that's more rewarding than just living, you know, and this is a curse. Ready? Imagine 40 years going around in a circle. There's no beginning. There's no end. You don't know how to start. You don't know how to finish. This was the people of Israel. And I think it's, it's hugely grotesque that any one of us that are following this God would end up next year, December 2016, in the same place than January. And that this month of 2015, because you did not walk in wisdom, that 2015, December, you're no wiser and no far out of the circular craziness and chaos and disorder that many people are living. And you see them, they, the same marital problems and the same situations. And each year another opportunity for a, a, a divorce and for more children to be upset. And for more anguish and adversity and anxiety. And they, don't, they never get out. There's no progression. There's no beginning and there's no end to their existence. I said, Lord, not me. Not me. Uh, when we started this church many years ago, 18 years ago, I, I went up to a pastor. I said, Pastor, the Lord is calling me to start a church. He says, you're not going to do anything different. Everything's going to be the same. There's nothing new that's going to... I said, 
we're going to change the world. There has to be a new move of God for this generation. It can't be more of the same. It cannot be more of the same. People, if you're not expecting anything brighter or better, then you're not going to do anything different. You're just going to muddle. So I, I want to encourage you as we say goodbye, because that's another thing. People all want, want to drag 2015 into 2016. Guess what? No. Uh, 2015, I, I'll tell you what. Um, in America was our year of greatest expression for our ministry. Before that time, we were going to Mexico and to South America for a long time. We spent 11 years going to South America. And, and we impacted many lives and many pastors uh, around the world internationally. As Switzerland, Spain, South Africa. But last year, it wasn't the international territory. It was the national. It was America. We were awarded the pastor of the year last year here in America. And that was huge. Huge. So with each year, there needs to be a greater expression of you started something and you're finishing well. You're not finishing worse than you started. That's not God's plan. So yeah, we trekked our, our, our life in, in our journey of faith. And even though I've been, I've been a Christian for 32 years, and things just were revealed about what faith is and, and what manner of preciousness. Um, so, so meditate on these verses. I, I want to tell you that for 2016, bring a notebook to church. Bring your Bible and your notebook. These are, these are more precious than your accounting and, and your public records and your business records and all that stuff. You're, you're, as you treat the natural, treat the supernatural. Because if you don't, you're not going to get stuff that comes from upstairs. He will only bestow upon you those things that you're trustworthy and responsible for. So bring a, a notebook. And start journaling what God is speaking to you. And these things, you say, Lord, if you declare the end of the thing before it starts, I want to have a closer relationship with you. Because I, I never talk to you at the beginning about the end. I never get prepared. Uh, we, we have such an, a great number of women that want to get married. They, they want to finish, but they're not preparing at the beginning for what's coming at the end. And it's sad. It's sad as all out. They, they dream of having a husband, they dream of having a family, and they've made zero preparations of being able to envision a conversation they might have with that person and, and how to conduct themselves in those affairs. So the same thing with those that want to come out of a certain economic uh, realm, they, they don't prepare for it. They, they continue to act like jerks as employees. I want to tell you, if you're a jerk as an employee, you'll never be an employer. Is that true for those of us that have? We know that. It requires much more humility to be able to, to run a business than to be underneath, always griping and worrying about, you, you get to be an employer, you're going to have to close down within nothing, within a couple of weeks, because that toxic attitude will infect your workforce. And you're not going to have anybody to prosper or to encourage to do things well. So as we read these verses <clears throat> and we end the year, we're saying, Lord, I want to follow your footprints. I want to be able to declare the end from the beginning. I want to know what that means. And that calls for wisdom so you can see things down the road, have a vision. The biggest curse is to never finish or end anything like the people of Israel going around and round. 
It wasn't the, the wheels on the bus that were going round and round first. It was Israel going round and round in the desert, never going anywhere, never getting. And, and you know something? When their children came to pass, their children said, if we don't change the way we're doing things, man, they end up doing the same thing our parents did for 40 years. And, and I consider spiritual round and round in the desert just as bad as the physical, that there's never uh, a plight for a better generation. I, I thank God in, in our particular family, um, our children, because they were born into a home of faith, are going to do way, way better than us that started when we were 20. When 20 years had gone by and, and uh, we had a lot of uh, stinking, selfish, uh, crazy thinking. Um, Lord, let us sow that we might reap well. Isaiah 41.4, there's another verse there uh, that talks about who has done this and carried it through. That God in every generation calls forth. Who has performed and done this? Calling the generations from the beginning. I, the Lord, am the first, and, and with the last, I am he. Um, how sad that we're disconnected with a God who has planned out the course of our families for generations, and we miss and aren't able to walk in those things that God has set apart from the beginning. He already established the end. He, he is there to welcome us into triumphant. If you go to the same verse in verse 22, it talks about idols, <clears throat> false gods. Go over to someone who is not God and try to get the end from the beginning. Let them bring forth and show us what will happen. Let their idols let them show the former things and what they were that we might consider them and know the latter end of them or declare to us the things to come. Who, who can do that but our God? There's nothing else. The stock market has tried. The economists have tried. The political analysts have tried. But, but God says if you connect with him, he's able to take you to greater and greater expressions of the plans he has for you. Um, that verse in Hebrews, I believe is 1028. He says, we're not to, go to 29. I'm going to go chasing it down now. Um, you're not to pursue things um, in a reverse mindset, that means you're not to finish. We're not, we're not going back to perdition. We're those that proceed. There it is. Um, say it with me. Yeah. Yeah, verse 39. There it is. We are not of those who draw back to perdition. You don't start a year to finish worse than you started. We're not of that kind. But those who believe and the end result is the saving of our soul. There's a progression in this matter. Um, the faith is inheriting the things that we hope for. The things that we do not see. The things that God has promised. That, that is the, 
the full expression of true faith. Uh, idols don't give you that. Isaiah 48 verse 3, I foretold the former things long ago. My mouth announced them and I made them known. Then suddenly I acted, God says, and they came to pass. I want to tell you it's a lot more joyful to inherit the things God has established from beforehand than to inherit the false and wicked ways of your hopes that are outside of God. I had these things declared, the former things from the beginning. Lord, what is my life about? What is my marriage about? What are my finances about? How can I participate and partner and be able to provide for my family the things that you have planned? A lot of men in their pride, when they're talking about they studied, listen to this, there's a book that just came out. Uh, they studied 6,000 corporations that go back for the past 100 years. 6,000 corporations. What was the number one reason of their decline? What would it be? Say it with me, pride. pride. Arrogance. When they were going, they were like, no one could stop us now. Guess what? Yeah. You can have great expectations and hope, but if they're not founded upon God's plan, you won't prosper. You're going to fall out of prosperity in a second. It's going to be very crazy. But for the things that God has declared, Lord, what are you speaking over my children? That's what, listen, I have three boys and a little girl. I don't want to see anything short of them fulfilling the call of God upon their life. That they would see God, that they would walk with God that they would partner with the Lord and the Holy Spirit and be able to hear the voice of God stronger than the voice of things in this world. Uh, We're going to get to that right now. Every time Paul talked to his younger disciples, it was depending on the voice that they heard that determined what their outcome would be. Uh, We're going to go to the Old Testament first, and and I want to share that verse with you. if you're still hanging on to what God has spoken is greater than having many voices speak towards your life. And, and you see this um, in the life of Caleb. This, this gentleman who had spent 40 years and now he stands to inherit um, the things God has for him. He says these words. I, I want to be able to put them. Joshua 14 verse 12. Listen to this, this man who started out of Egypt and was one of the ones that finished. How horrible. Six million did not finish. They were round the desert, round the desert, round the desert. But this man says, when they finally get to the promised land, he goes, give me the mountain that was spoken by the Lord in the day. You also heard that voice. You heard in that day how there were giants up there, Anakim. And that the cities were great and fortified. It may be that the Lord will be with me. And I shall be able to drive them out. According to what the Lord has said. I want to inherit what God has spoken. I want to receive the end of what God had told me. And it was 40 years ago. But the way that this man talks about. Having heard what God said at the beginning allowed him to inherit the end. What if you're listening to other voices? Why did the other people not get what God promised? They didn't believe. 
They didn't wait for it. They didn't want to inherit what God had promised. So that becomes our challenge. He says, verse 13, it says, So Joshua blessed him and gave him that territory of Ebron to Caleb as an inheritance. What, what allowed this man to come to the end of what he started so long ago? He still had the word of God. He had it, you know, he, was, he had a grasp on this thing. And, and so I, I want to challenge you as we finish out um, 2015 that there would be a transition in your life and in your family's life to begin to uh, hold on to what God has spoken, what he's announced. Second um, Timothy 4, 7, Paul says, I'm ready to go as a drink offering and my time to depart has come. Every year we hear about people that depart like this. There's no, there's no I'm about to leave. They just... And that becomes a, a real problem because in, in times of old, God would tell each person, I'm coming for you. You remember Elijah and Elijah? He says, my time is coming. A chariot of fire is coming for me. I'm about to leave to the, the other world. I want to let you know that God, I'm in tune with God. I know my times. I know my seasons. I know how to count my days. I've acquired wisdom. Paul says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. By the way, it's super important. Uh, in Greek times, um, this, this word marathon, which is a 26-mile, 25-mile uh, portion of race, uh, was established, and it became the measure of a race that was celebrated. He says, I've, I've run this race. I've finished the race. I have kept the faith. I'm, I'm still standing strong with God. I'm, I'm not, I, haven't, I, haven't, um, I haven't diminished my capacity. Um, look what he says in verse 8. He says, so because I have fought the good fight and I have finished the course, the race, and I'm keeping the faith, the future, there's a crown of righteousness laid up to me. The Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all those who love his appearing. That, that should be a conversation that you have in your family. The Lord's coming. The Lord's about to return. We need to be conscientious. We need to be thoughtful. Uh, I had an opportunity many years ago as a young lawyer, a thriving lawyer, um, a real, I had a lot of relationships in the city with huge promise in every direction. But when you have the Lord's imminent return right in your forehead, you could care less about the rewards of this life. You, you're not pursuing things that are going to perish. You have made a value system of things that are more precious, more imminent, more important. I had a friend of mine who... We're, we're, he says, hey, Molina. And he says, yes, sir. How can I help you? He says, I purchased 31 properties this year. It's like, wow, man, you're the man. You got 31 properties. Let me ask you a question. Say you were to get an entire county in Florida, and, and you finish your life, and you own a whole county. Then what? 
seeing the end from the beginning. Why are you going to pursue things that perish? What are the things that don't perish? What are the things that for eternity are going to be celebrated like the souls of men? I would, I would sit in my law office. I would hurry up. Let's finish talking about your real estate purchase. Let's, let's start talking about your business acquisition. Let's stop talking about the things of this world. I want to talk to you about the things that are eternal. I want to, the man who sold me life insurance, he says, hey, could I come and tell you about life insurance? I said, yeah, only if you promise that I can tell you about eternal life insurance. If we could talk about things that matter, things that are precious, things that are real, things that when you get into heaven, you're not going to be embarrassed. You're not going to be shameful when Jesus returns and you stay with your 31 properties and all your family goes to hell. Because you did not concern yourself with things that do not perish. So as we finish well, and this is Paul, he talks about the past, he talks about the present, and now he has a vision for the future. Do you have a vision for the future? Have you sat down and opened the Bible and told your children about the gates of heaven where the streets are made out of gold, where, where God is upon his throne, where there's a new heaven, a new earth? Have you talked about those things to your family, the real things that do not perish, the things that a lot of people hold as fairy tale? Do they know about them? Have you searched them? Acts 14.22, he said, we're to endure this race. This is a hard race. It's not easy. It's not for the frail. A lot of people say, Pastor, you don't know how hard it is. Yes, I do. I've been running for 32 years. Well, Pastor, you don't know the trials I got. Yes, I have. I've run 10 years, three times more than you have. When I turned 42, I told my kids, you know what 42 means? They said, yeah. I said, do you really know what 42 means? It means 21 twice. It means I've become 21 twice, and you still haven't become 21 once. And your opinion cannot be greater than a person who's lived 21 years twice. And some of the guys that are here have done it four times. <laughs> and three times. And they have a lot more greater perspective. Yesterday we were going through the rubbish of, uh, rubble of my home, all the, the, the roof coming down. And Miguel Vidal and Richard came over. I go, Do you guys, look what you have to look forward to expect in life. When trials come your way, how will you stand? Will you be able to sweep up the ashes, always looking forth to the beauty of what doesn't change? And that perspective is a lot more refreshing. To be able to hold on to our faith in the preciousness of knowing that, he says like this, we strengthen the souls of the disciples, exhorting them con to continue in the faith by saying to them, we must, through many trials, enter the kingdom of God. This is not a swift song and dance into the kingdom of God. This is blood, sweat, and tears. This is greater than cr any CrossFit program to be able to endure in your faith and to be grounded. We must through many trials, many hardships, many difficulties to ask forgiveness when you haven't done anything. To be married, to lead our families and to lead our children. All this in the delivery of faith. Revelations 3.11, to hold on to the things that you have received because if Jesus is coming quickly and he says he is, behold, I am coming quickly Grab on to what you have and let no one take your crown. I want to say that one of the biggest travesties in the Bible are people that hold on to things and not to the Lord. 
hold on to things. Those things are pulling at our heart's cords. Where they're, they're even, I, I was going through a car dealer once and I heard a sports car say, Joaquin, Joaquin. And you're like, man, I didn't know these things speak. Come, come. I rebuke you, Satan. Get out of here. I got other priorities. I got other pursuits. I'm not going to pursue the things of this world. I am consciously at war with these things. With respect to those things that clout my vision. Those things that create chaos in my heart. Those things that, that bring darkness and confusion and allow me to be, that's, that's what the Bible says in 2 Peter 3.3. 3, it says, knowing this, well, let's draw a line where we need to draw a line. Watch. Knowing this, that mockers will come in the last days. And the reason why they become mockers is because they have other affections. They're walking according to their lusts. They're walking according to their priorities, to the things that they value, to the things that they hold precious. You won't ever see them compromise walking in that regards. But those of us that are walking with the Lord have our sights on different things. What did Caleb do? He, 40 years into his exodus from Egypt, he wasn't holding on to his pleasure or his pursuit. Verse 2, Paul, Peter tells us, that you might be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and the commandments of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Hold on to what God has said. That's going to allow you to finish well, not to hold on to the lust of your desire, but to the words of God. As the Bible says in 2 Timothy 3, 7, that there's some people that they're always learning but never come to the knowledge of truth. They're always learning Never able to embrace reality. They're, they're, they, you know, they, I see them. They use the same energy. They use the same intention. They're just deliberate, but they're chasing the carrot. When it's time to go this way, they're, they're going the other way. When it's time to pursue God, they're pursuing the pleasures of the passing pleasures of this world. We just saw the dolphins celebrate their 50th anniversary and how they put so much importance and things that are passing. I, I tell my kids I'm Bob Greasy. They're like, what's that mean? Your mechanic? They don't know because those things don't matter. Those things pass. They come and go. Uh, my uncle took my cousin to every single UM game for a 15-year period to every single Dolphin game. And then he leaves his son about two years ago when he commits suicide. He has no hope. He has no faith. He has no family. He has no true treasure. He didn't let go of the natural to, to grasp onto the supernatural. And that's what we're trying to do. These guys that are always learning, they have every lesson and they choose something else. They have stood. They're never able to hit the nail on the head. They're never able to do what they're supposed to do when they're supposed to do it. Uh, usually, that's a sign of immaturity. At its worst expression is stupidity. Because if God gives you something more precious to pursue, why do you continue to pursue the passing, the temporal, the thing that has no lasting measure? And Paul was really big on this. 
He says the last days will be full of deception because men will grasp on to the passing and not to that which stays. Jesus was trying to teach this in Luke chapter 12, verse 13. Someone in the crowd said, teacher, tell my brother to, to, to share the inheritance with me. And he says, man, who's made me a judge over that matter? And he said to them, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you judgment on a matter that I am. I am going to, let's go to verse 14. Verse 13. Teacher, divide the, tell my brother where the line goes that divides the inheritance, what he's supposed to do. Verse 14. He said to the man, who made me judge over this matter, over you guys? Who made me a judge that I would draw a line in this matter? Now, if you want me to draw lines, I'll draw lines, he says. Verse 15. This is where I am a judge. Take heed and be careful of covetedness, desire. For one's life does not consist of the abundance of the things he possesses. We're not in this world to get all you can and then can all you get. That's a deceptive mood in this world. Um, one of the things that I learned th during the course of my marathon and race in the faith is the more things I get rid of, they make room for greater things to pursue in the supernatural world. So a guy says, well, you should run for mayor of Miami. No way. Devil's not going to make me occupied in the affairs of a city because I'm about my father's business. I'm, 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 I'm conducting the affairs possibly over a nation to be faithful to hear God's voice, to be faithful to raise up champions. Verse 16, be careful that you're not after possessions. He told them of a parable, the ground of a rich man yielded plenty. The life of a man during the earth is able to give you many harvests. Verse 17, instead of him knowing what the harvest was for, he said with him himself, what shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? Verse 18, I will, I know what I'll do. I'll pull down my barns and build greater ones and I will store more crops and more, I will st to store all my crops and all my goods. Verse 19. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample provision laid up for many years, so take it easy. You have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, drink and be merry. Enjoy life and pursue pleasure. Verse 20. But God said to him, you're a fool. The judgment in his side is he's walking in wisdom. The judgment in God's side is he's a fool. Because tonight your soul will be required of you. Then whose will these things be which you have provided? What was the purpose behind it? And then he says, verse 21. So is the one who lays up treasure for himself. And not rich toward God. I want to tell you that as you release the natural, you become wealthy in the supernatural. You, you live for life's greater purposes in a realm that, that possibly few ever see. This thing about being rich towards God is something that I want to be able to accomplish. And it's not going to be accomplished if I pursue if the devil has me focused on self. Uh, years ago, my, my son says, Dad, our backyard is so awful. 
I said, you guys have a backyard in every nation of the earth. Well, you guys are limited in scope. If I stayed and concentrated myself in my family, in my backyard, it would look like Walt Disney. But I've spent the greater time pursuing the purpose of God. So now wherever my kids go, my children, that there's an, last year we went to Peru. This man says, I came to this conference 10 years ago. I was a lazy bum. I was not doing anything. And because I went into your workshop, I went to dental school, and I have the best dental uh, practice in a city south of Peru. Those are the rewards and the riches that, that this life produces that we're not producing if it's all about bigger barns and my crops and my drinking and my relaxing. And guess what? Your soul will perish because life is, does not consist of the, let's read that again, verse um, 15. Life does not consist in the abundance of the things that you possess. Why? Life is not about how much you could do to get things. Now, some really wise man said, the problem is not with the things that you possess, but with the possessions that have you. You can't serve the Lord, that you don't have time for God, that you, don't have a, you, you haven't been able to reach those values because you continue to put values on things that perish. And that's what Jesus was saying. Be careful that you have a lot of earthly treasure and you're poor. You're not rich towards God. 1 Timothy 6.18, Paul talking to Timothy. He's following up on Jesus saying, do not be poor towards God and laying for yourself possessions. He says, Paul tells Timothy, let those, let's go to 17. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, not to be proud. That's the first sign of going south. Um, nor to trust in their uncertain riches, but in, living, uh, but in the living God. To put your trust in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. God is going to give you an overwhelming amount of things to enjoy, but that's not where your heart is. Verse 18, tell those that are rich in this world, let them pursue good, that they be rich in good works, ready to give and willing to share. Verse 19, storing for themselves a good foundation for the time to come down the road, the end, that they may lay hold of eternal life, that they might inherit. Um, so what do we do? Colossians 3, 5. Let's get rid of everything that is a pull on your heart towards the things of the earth. When I uh, started, um, when I was about to get married years, like probably a year or two before I got married, uh, I said it would be great for me and Yvette to spend Sundays watching the dolphins every season. So I bought her season tickets. I bought me season tickets, and I gave it to her for Christmas. We have season tickets for next season. And then the Lord says, what are you doing? I said, what do you mind I'm doing? I'm having a good time with Yvette. It's me and Yvette. I go, he goes, no way, buddy. You belong to me. You belong to me. Get rid of those tickets. I got rid of the tickets, and guess what the Lord did? He gave me, it was gifted, tickets for the whole season. But the reason it was wrong in my case is because I was still a college student, and I had put it as a huge priority, and it was upside down. 
I was using greater part of my treasure for me and Yvette than for God. And that's called idolatry in our case at that season of our life. And, and what the Lord does, I, I, I put them on eBay. I got rid of them. I got rid of all our season tickets. And what the Lord did, he goes, okay, now you could go to every game, but that's not a priority in your life. It's not something you've lifted up above me. There should be nothing above God and you in this season, especially as the times grow worse. So Colossians 3, 5 says, put to death. Kill those things that are stopping you from giving God your best. And then God will allow you to enjoy things. But don't allow anything to come in your life and to be a Lord and a king over your life. Uh, where you spend your time, where you spend your money. Uh, greater than any other year, this year we have blessed men of God and women of God and families of God and works of God more than any other year that our church has been in existence. Many. Um, well, we, about good four months ago, a family came into Miami and they were here uh, for three days. And they were going to preach in three different churches. They weren't going to preach in our church. And so I called them and said, let's, let's go out to have coffee. Let's go share some time. And we gave them a $10,000 offering. And they're like, but we didn't preach at your church. No, we don't. This is not about you preaching. I'm not paying you for anything. I'm, I'm being generous. I'm, I'm sharing treasure. I'm, I'm giving you the blessings to continue to do what you do for God. It's super powerful when, you're, when you become the source of, of propelling um, people into the, to the journey of God. It intends at the father and son retreat, they, they built a lake. They needed $100,000 to build a lake where fathers and sons could go fishing together. And he says, we want to be a part of that one. He says, a, a $5,000 offering to be able to bless and, and guess what? If you're earthly thinking, if you're thinking carnally, you're thinking about your vacation, your car, your new clothes. You're thinking about other things. You're not thinking about God. And so we would bless those people. Uh, when we went to Peru and met up with Molly and her daughters, and, and Leo Gossage is my hero, and he passed away. And the Bible says to take care of the orphans and the widow. We said, Molly, we want to give you a, a, a love offering for $5,000 to be able to have earthly provision to propel the work and to do the, and not to get to heaven and say, you know something, I didn't have time for the orphans. I didn't have time for the widows. I didn't have time for the lake for the boys to fish with their dads and reconcile the hearts of the fathers with the sons. I didn't have time to bless South America and the ministry to families. And that you're full of excuses because you didn't have your thought in the heavenlies. And so here he says, put to death those members that are upon the earth. Evil desire, covetedness, greed, idolatry where you're listening more to the voice of those things that give you nothing and zero to the voice of God. You don't hear God. You don't have God's priorities in your life. We need to put to death the, to those things. Like, um, we go to Philippians 3.18. Paul says, I, I want to talk about those for many. You could say that word with me, many. Many, many are a lot of people. Many walk. And how do they walk? Paul, he's writing to the Philippians. How do they walk, Paul? Of whom I've told you often. I'm always talking about these people. They have every opportunity to do everything this world calls them to do and no opportunity to do the things of God. They don't participate. They miss out with the greatest celebrations of the affairs of God and they're celebrating somewhere else with someone else. 
And so he says, I've talked to you about these often, and now I tell you with tears in my eyes, they have become enemies of the cross of Christ. They're not pursuing the things that please God. In fact, if you see where they stand, every time they stand on this side. They stand away from God, away from generosity, more towards hoarding possessions. They don't want to come to church so they don't have to listen to God's call on their heart. I tell you weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. Why, Paul, verse 19? Because they have set their affection on earthly affairs. Their end is not good, it's destruction. They didn't walk in instruction. We say that the opposite of instruction is destruction. They ended up opposite than what they needed to be instructed. Whose God is their sentiment, their passions. They walk stronger for their passions and for their, for, to, to fill the appetites of their belly whose glory is shameful. When they get to heaven, it's not, it's not going to be good what people see. It's going to be shameful. Who set their mind, their on earthly things. They have a time to go everywhere the world goes and no time to go where God sent them to go. He says the contrast is verse 20. But our citizenship, where we belong, is in heaven. That's where we got our papers. That's where we applied. That's who recruited us. From which we also eagerly wait for the Lord Jesus Christ. Almost as if you're thinking about the Lord's coming more than you are of not thinking that you're pursuing other pursuits. Luke 12, 34, and we finish with this. Luke 12, 34, he says, where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Where do you spend your time? Where do you spend your talents? Where do you spend your treasure? If you do an exam and you say, okay, time, talents, and treasure, and then you see that your time, talents, and treasures are not in the affairs of the kingdom. My suggestion to those who would come for a divorce at my law office, they're like married 20 years, 25 years, it says, you know something? Me and my wife are not seeing eye to eye. We have fallen out of love. I have no more affection for her. I said, I have the antidote, sir. He says, what? I said... Sign everything you have into her name. And he goes, are you insane? I said, no. This is the perfect formula for you to fall in love with your wife. Because where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. If you're, if you're putting all your things into the kingdom, all your things on the boat, you're going to be on that boat on the day that other people are going to be off that boat. The Bible says the coming of the Son of Man will be like in the days of Noah. While some people were eating, drinking, relaxing, they had the pleasures of the passing world, there was a family that had its affairs in the promises of God's deliverance and had prepared an ark for the saving of their household. And that's why the Bible says that life does not consist of the things that you possess, but rather of those things that possess you. And you know... That your pursuit and priority of the things of this world determine who has possessed you. Billy Graham always quoted that a man's wallet would determine whether a man was saved or not because his treasures were in the kingdom. He found occasion. Philippians 3.8, he says like this, I count everything as loss 
This is Paul's way of doing it. I have depleted my earthly wealth by considering all things a loss in exchange for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ. I want to tell you the narrative of this last movie that just came out. For those of you who haven't seen it, this will be your downfall. The Star Wars movies is the narrative of Han Solo's son being raised up to be a Jedi and then going to the dark force and ending up with the reward of calling his father for help and then killing his father. That is what this world celebrates. The bitterness, the resentment, the separation of a father's heart with a son's heart and the culminating effect of a son who murders his dad. They don't tell you that when they show you the trailer. That there's a huge situation taking place amongst fathers and sons now. We're living in the greatest generation of fatherlessness where selfishness has separated the interests of a dad to his son and the interests of his son to not be able to honor his dad. Malachi 4.6 says, this is what will cause the earth to fall into chaos. To not be able to count all things as loss will turn the hearts of fathers away from their children and the hearts of the children away from their fathers. He says, if you guys don't begin to address this, I'm going to come and strike the earth with a curse. We're celebrating Star Wars because fathers and sons have not been able to determine where their two treasures lie. As we finish 2015, we have an opportunity to come before the Lord and to say, Lord, teach me how to do this transition. I want, to, I want to know the end from the beginning. I want to transfer the natural for the supernatural. I want to have an exchange where I am a wealthy man. The last days will be filled with lack of clarity and deception and darkness and selfishness. And that from men who have not prioritized their pursuit. Let's stand this morning as we, we finish the, end, the year well. We finished the, the end of the year well by having a harvest of godly. I'll tell you something. I, I can say this with all confidence. This year has made me even more wealthy in God. My relationship with him is stronger than it ever has been. Desiring first and foremost the things that please him above anything that's on my schedule above anything that I'm in relationship to. They said that the man went to the funeral home of his father, and he says, I hope dad is in heaven. What's that mean? I hope dad crossed that line and finally surrendered to Jesus so that I have the confidence to see him once again. Ask God to take your desire for earthly things out of your heart and to give you a new heart. And the 2016, the Bible says, however you leave a thing, you enter into a thing. If you leave with victory, saying, Lord, I surrender all today. 2016, you'll make it your pursuit to please God above all other things. Uh, one of the testimonies I love to share, Blast, come here a second. Dr. Blass. Dr. Blass was an aficionado of baseball. His dad says, do you want to play professional baseball or do you want to play or you want to become a doctor? So at the last part of that story, he finally says, I'll be a doctor. And he went into medical school. So for years, he married Mita. And 
Mita started going to church. She gave her heart to the Lord, and she came to church for like <laughs> 10 years. Listen to this, 10 years. And this man here would stay outside of the church for 10 years listening to baseball on the radio. That, that shows a split of his devotion and affection. He never messed with his wife. Uh, we don't know that secret, but, but he let her come to church. 97. Right, from 97. 97. Oh, that's when you came to the Lord. Started 97. But before that, 10 years, he would come outside, he would park his car, listen to baseball, and he would never come inside. He said, you go do your stuff, I'm gonna, I'll do my stuff. And there won't be any conflict because I'm not going to stop you. So he would wait the full two hours, and she would come outside. And, and they would go home, happy, happy, happy marriage. And in 97, he, he goes as a medical doctor and he does an exam, a medical exam. And it comes PSA, out as PSAs. It comes out that prostate cancer is around the corner there. And he's like terrified. And he tells his wife, I think they, they, they tested positive. And his wife tells her, you know something? I've been treasuring up in heaven. And there's salvation, deliverance, and healing for you inside. Amen. And he comes inside the church. And the Lord gives them a gift, something that doesn't perish, something that's not baseball. And so I'm freaking out because this man comes into church, the Lord heals him, and then that year the Marlins go to the World Series. <laughs> that's a big test. And his best friend calls him and says, I got tickets for you to the World Series, the Miami Marlins. I love you, Miami. <laughs> and you know what he tells his friend? I have something more important to do. Amen. Got this working here? Hello, hello. What's more important than the World Series? <laughs> the church was most important. You had the church. Explica ese, yo te voy a traducir. Explícalo en español, yo te voy a traducir. ¿Cómo tú cambias de pelota a la iglesia? ¿Qué estaba sucediendo? The point is that, the thing is in, la, in la iglesia, en la consulta, you know, todos hombres. I was at, at, at my clinic, everyone over 50 years old was doing these tests. You know, the PSA, the PSA, you know. En español y yo en inglés. El, el examen de la próstata. So I did this exam for the prostate. So that morning, something was telling me, you do your own test also and don't be stubborn. And I ordered that one. Two days later, on and I went and did my exam and two days later I went to go find the results and my enzymes were high so then I did a, a cancer for the prostate test and the laboratory called me because they recognized my handwriting and they said, listen, we didn't know this was you, but you have just been given a positive result on your exam. And then I told Mita, okay, you know, was, la enzima fue alta y el test fue positivo de cancer. So I told my wife, enzymes are high and the tests are positive for cancer. And I told my wife, and she says, well, when are you going to come to the Lord? You must make a decision. And I remember when she told me that, it was Wednesday, 
When are you coming to the Lord? And I said, right now, Wednesday. Entonces, the week after, on Monday, she went to Clarita's house. And then she didn't have a car. I said, okay. Me have your car. No, se voy a llevar allá. Y la dejé en casa Clarita. En ese tiempo, uno entraba los hombres también. I left my wife at Clarita's. It was a woman's Bible study. And I saw all those cars. They were everywhere. I went inside, and all the women were saying hi to me. They all knew me. And they were surprised to see me. And they said, "Well, uh, I guess I'm going to join the church." No more baseball. No more baseball. Yeah. Well, I can see the end from the beginning that the Lord had always kept my wife separated from my life. You know, when I was 17, I was ready to go, you know, to the, to the Liga Menores. I was going to go into the minor Miami. leagues that were here in Miami during that time. In my, they were in Miami, Entonces, and I was about to join. El, el manager habló con papá. And the manager of the team spoke. And manager of the team told me next uh, week, uh, I need your son to come from Cuba with all he has so that he could be part of our team. And I said, wow. So when my father heard that phone call, the manager was named Pacheco. That next week, there's three guys that have already left to be part of that team, and next week you're going to go. So dad says, what do you want? You want to go to baseball or do you want to stay with the book? The baseball bat or the book? To be a doctor. So I decided to be a doctor. And so I studied and studied. That was the first part to see that how the Lord had separated things in my life. So Batista closed all the universities on, in 1957. Dad was there also. September 57, all the universities closed. So they said, go to Venezuela because they'll accept your transcripts. I didn't feel peace with that. I don't like Venezuela at that time. I'm going to Miami. I'll go to another place. So in June of 58, I met my wife. And that was all. No more baseball for me. At 58, we married three years later in 61. And the university started in 1959, March. And I already knew my wife, and we got married in 61. Let me say this, because this is important. In 18 years that we've been in this church, the most radical salvation has occurred in this church has been this man's life. And he began to prepare a legacy for not only his son who's there with his wife Mabel and Blas but for his grandsons and show them the wealth of the riches of God's glorious race um, now the scenario is that, that his service is unlike anyone's service because a servant serves that's what he does and we all know Blas to be a servant to his wife first to his children to his grandchildren that's the kingdom of God
I want to challenge you today that you make it your trek to know the end from the beginning, that your children would not have doubt in knowing what you pursue as your highest priority. A lot of people have this question of, well, it is my highest priority, but nobody ever sees me because what I do, I do so secretly and covertly. I'm part of the heaven of God, Navy SEALs. <laughs> my friend, let your works be seen by all men that they might glorify your Father that is in heaven. Let them hear of your great works. Let them see you be fruitful, multiply. Let them see you increase. Let them see you be stronger for the Lord and less strong for the things of this world. Father, today we've heard your message. We've heard your heart and your priority. Let it be our reality that we seek you with all of our heart, all of our strength, and all of our might. That we might continue to fight the good fight, to run the race, and to keep the faith that we might celebrate the end of 2015 as the beginning of what's going to occur in 2016, and that we not go in the merry-go-round of life in a circular passion pursuit of idols and priorities that are distant and disconnected from yours, that your grace might be sufficient, that your Holy Spirit saturate, and that we might finish well. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen and amen. Read one another.